Hello everyone and thank you so much as always for clicking on this podcast and this particular episode of Joe Blogs about films. Whether you're a first-time listener or a long-time listener, all the same, it is greatly appreciated. And thank you for your constant, constant support. It's been a long while in the making, but we have a new and final instalment in the Indiana Jones franchise. Dial of Destiny has been on most moviegoers' most anticipated list since it was announced, knowing this would be Harrison Ford's last time playing this iconic character. And while the film has some really great and fun moments, it does fall short and with some pretty underwhelming parts also. Now, for this episode, I'm joined by my very good friend, Andrew. Mate, thank you so much for coming on to discuss Indy. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you, Joe. And it's such an honour to be here. I'm really excited, so thank you. No, thank you ever so much for taking the time out for uh, to, to chat, because we should, straight off the bat, just mention that you're a big, big indie fan. And, uh, you know, hence for me dragging you in for this chat. And it's pretty much because indie is such a, an icon in cinema, isn't it? It is. I mean, I'm, I'm a 70s baby, so I grew up with the 80s being a key part of my movie history and Everything about Indiana Jones has been my life, really. Yeah. I think I said to you like this last night, I've owned it in multiple formats over the years, and there aren't many movies like this <laughs> that get you that excited for the cinema, and I think Indiana Jones is about it for really. Yeah, it is. Uh, it, again, it's like I say, it's an iconic character. I love as well that you said that you had like, different versions of VHS as well when you were telling me about those. I was like, oh man, that sounds like a great collection. Yeah, definitely. I think I grew up obviously in the VHS era. I had it on VHS, VHS widescreen, DVD, Blu-ray, and then 4K. So to have it in all those formats, you could have liked the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And you're actually gracious to uh, give me your Blu-ray copy, your Blu-ray box set as well, which I'm very, very thankful for. And it's helped in the in the run-up to this because I do like Indy. Don't get me wrong. Like I think for me growing up, that was more of a Star Wars kids. I liked the I liked Indiana Jones, but it wasn't like the same love that I had for. Um, yeah, for, for Star Wars, but taking nothing away because these films are absolutely great. And, you know, the adventures the audience have witnessed that, you know, Lucas and Spielberg created in those three films were fantastic. The first three, it captured audiences and inspired a generation of filmmakers. Like, you also have to look at films such as, you know, National Treasure, Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, recently Jungle Cruise, Uncharted. You know, all of these films and stories wouldn't be here without Indiana Jones. No, completely. And I mean, you think the foundation of that in so much cinema and for me as well, as a big Spielberg fan, this is interesting to sort of see this as a non-Spielberg movie yeah. and can it live up and can they get the right toad of that? So I'm excited to talk about that today. <laughs> yeah. That's it as well, because it, directing this, as you mentioned, is the brilliant James Mangold, uh, responsible again for so many great movies over the years, What the Line, Girl Interrupted, uh, probably my favourite, again, a recent one, but Logan, I thought that was tremendous. So I was excited, like you say, to see what he could do with the film. Um, but yeah, like you mentioned there, it's the first one without the Spielberg and the director's chair and it's also the first Disney era indie film um, which to be honest the alarm bells for me were ringing more so about that than actually Spielberg not directing it. I think completely agree and particularly obviously with having sort of so much time to think about this movie as well we're obviously with it happening in the pandemic then the delays and you kind of like mm, can they pull it off and then yeah. all the leaks that came out to us we won't talk about those now but yeah. so yes this was like can they do it or can they not do it really. It was one of those as well because I think that with anything Disney seemed to touch it, I, I just I always think like it, it sometimes can be a, bit, a little bit needless. Like they seem to just be churning things out for the sake of it. I'm not saying that Crystal Skull was the perfect send off. We had the perfect send off, I would say, for Indy at the end of um, the Last Crusade. You know, him and his father riding off into the sunset. So I, I guess when, when they did Crystal Skull, everyone was a bit like, again, is it? You know, it, it's nice to have Indy on, um, but are we kind of latching onto nostalgia for that? Um, ultimately, obviously. 
Crystal Skull um, got a mixed bag of reviews that we spoke about as well. I actually watched Crystal Skull again before we went to see Dial of Destiny just because I wanted it fresh in my head as to where we left Indy and also just to see if I remember it being as bad as it was. And it's not great, um, but now that we've seen Dial of Destiny, I think we were discussing afterwards which one, <laughs> which one was better, which kind of says it all really what you're going to hear in this review is that obviously... This is nowhere near the same level as what we're expecting from Indiana Jones or anywhere near those original trilogy. And to be honest with you, it wasn't going to be, it never was going to be. But now it's the debate of which one's better, Crystal Skull or Dial of Destiny. Um, I have my thoughts on that and I'm sure we'll discuss discuss all of that over this podcast. But now that we've had more time to reflect on Dial of Destiny, having seen it last night, what are your thoughts on the film as a whole without getting too much into the nitty gritty, but what what are your feelings towards it? I think for me... I got that feeling when it first started. So when the credits came on, that was first opening scenes, I got that tingle. And there aren't many movies that give you that tingle. Yeah. And I immediately sat up in my chair. I was like, right, this is going to be an Indiana Jones movie. And that first 20 minutes were, I mean, leaving this sort of CGI aside in terms of the de-aging. I was in. I was in for this movie. And I loved the kind of the progression of the story. But it's a movie of sort of three parts, really. The first third, I absolutely loved. Yeah. The movie could have ended then. The middle part, <laughs> I think I checked my watch twice, which is always a bit of a worrying side. Yeah. And the ending just felt flat. And I, for me, I felt leaving the cinema, how I remember feeling after um, uh, The Crystal Skull, just feeling a little bit disappointed. Yeah. I kind of knew going into it, it was not going to be great because of all the rumours and, and time. But yeah, I definitely felt it didn't finish on a positive note for me about the character I've loved all these years. I, I pretty much echo that, mate. I echo those statements. It's like I was saying at the start of the film, there are some fun moments in this film um, and parts that will absolutely knock your socks off with the action and set pieces, but there's some very poor moments as well. Um, I think the pacing, when it wanted to be fast and fun, it was, but then the pace was really slow in certain areas, in particular when Antonio Banderas' character, Ronaldo, um, appears in, in, I think, it's like when they're in Greece, um, and that's not anything negative against Banderas' performance. It's just that he got a slightly boring bit of the film. As you say, probably, that was probably around the time you were checking your watch. And then, don't get me wrong, again, in those moments, there are some good good sections, but that, for me, was the slog. Um, and they did tick so many great boxes to make it feel like an indie film, you know, like the cut scenes and transitions, you know, in particular when they're flying or taking a train across the countries and we see, you know, it unfold on the map with the red line and everything. All that was there, and, and the sets and the costumes, I would say, were pretty much bang on. However... For every good thing about this film, I think there is a negative. No, I completely agree. And I think there's the bits that I really enjoyed was like the throwbacks. There was a couple of key yeah. scenes. I think there's one where in the wedding car and it felt like the scene from Last Crusade yeah. where there's the car takes off. They really have tried, but it felt like they were trying to impersonate an indie film yeah. as opposed to having the sort of the true feeling. But again, I think that first hour probably held the movie. If that wasn't what it was, yeah. I think this would be you know even a more difficult review to do. Yeah. So there was enough of it in the first hour, but yeah. on the whole, yeah, not quite there, I'm afraid. I, I, again, completely agree. And there's plenty for us to chat about on this pod, and you're going to be listening to it today, listeners. And thank you ever so much again for clicking on the podcast. We will be giving our spoiler-free and spoiler-filled thoughts towards the end of the pod. Um, so don't worry, we'll give you a shout, and we really hope you enjoy. But before we do proceed... Obviously, the podcast is available on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, rss.com. You know the drill. Jump onto the socials as well. Give us a like and follow on Facebook and Instagram by searching Joe Blogs About Films. If you could too, finally, wherever you're listening to this podcast through, whether that be Spotify, Apple, or 
Google, Amazon, whatever it is, just leave a review. That would be absolutely awesome. So here we are then, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. In 1944, archaeologist Indiana Jones retrieves one half of the Antikythera, an ancient dial built by Archimedes. From the hands of a Nazi scientist, Jürgen Voller, in 1969, Indy's goddaughter, Helena, teams up with the adventurer to track the other half down and potentially change history forever. I want to stick with positives for the film, because as we've said, there are a few, there are a few, and I guess on the back of the synopsis there, and what you've kind of spoke about already, um, well, touched upon, sorry, the opening of this film, we should talk about that straight off, because it is an incredible opening, um, an opening sequence of the film. That, to me, was an Indiana Jones film. Um, that's what I wanted from this movie and, and, and what you've said, or from any indie movie. You know, We find the de-aged indie trying to retrieve this Lance of Linguinus, that's the blade that pierced Christ from the Nazis, only for things to spiral into a thrilling sequence on top of a moving train, all whilst this gunfire and bombings are surrounding them. It was super thrilling. It was fantastic and easily the best part of the movie. It's a shame, though, that those 20 minutes or so um, was so thrilling that the rest of the film just didn't come anywhere, you know, close to it. I completely agree. I think that first scene of when they're sort of walking in indie through with his, the hood, hood in his head, waiting for him to appear. Honestly, I had get, my hair stood up on my arm. I could feel the tension. Yeah. It felt like Indiana Jones waiting to sort of see him appear. And, yeah. and the whole element on the train was just amazing. And just that whole sequence just felt like Indiana Jones and far better to anything we had in Crystal School as yeah. a medium compared to the other three movies. Yeah, it really was. I think that, 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 that like I can say, for me is what I wanted. And I think that's what we've all been craving for and that's what we've missed from this character. And that was kind of like, it was almost like if they'd have just done a short film of that, just like a one-off indie thing, they got Harrison Ford on and they were like, you know what, we're going to do this de-aging idea. We just want to give the fans something, 20 minutes tops. If we got that, you'd be a bit like that. That was perfect. You know, what I mean, it's just so it's such a shame as we were saying that, you know, it's a two and a half hour film. Which I mean, what is going on with films these days and that length? I mean, it, I mean, this film did not. Every other indie film was two hours. Even Crystal Skull was two hours, and people still complained about it. I mean, this is a, a slog, you know. But the opening gives us the perfect setup for the story, in particular how each of these key players, you know, good and bad, are made aware, you know, and looking for the Antikythera. That's the Dial of Destiny. There is more to talk about on that side of the film. So hold your indie hats. We'll talk more about the Antikythera and all that in the spoiler section. But I really thought that having that all laid out for us at the start just was really solid. Again, like we keep saying, it was the best part of the bloody film. Like, we know how Indy's tied to it, how Mads Mikkelsen's desire is for it, and how Phoebe Waller-Bridge's Helen is to become a part of the chase in the future. Um, it's all right there in front of us. It, it's worth mentioning. It's nice to see Toby Jones um, making appearances in his close friend. Though I did, I don't know if you thought this as well. I was like, why on earth have we never heard of this character before if they are so close friends? But maybe I'm, I'm looking too much into that. No, I agree. Because It's been such a big part of his life. He is obviously the goddaughter to his to his daughter. Yeah. To have it for the first time presented, like, mm, not quite sure. But a bit of a crowbar character in there. We've seen that before in other movies, obviously with Jurassic Park and Jurassic yeah. World, crowbarring characters in. Yeah. It, it, it does feel like, again, it's just it's, it was just a big setup for... I mean, it's you know, I mean, it's obvious it was a setup for Phoebe Waller Bridge's character, um, but you know that whole sequence, as we keep saying, it was though the CGI, you know, in places. I mean, let's talk about that for a second. Let's talk about the CGI de aging. What did you think about it? On the whole, it was good. Obviously, knowing it wasn't Harrison's actual face, your brain kind of goes into studying it. It was good. I think obviously they were quite clever that they didn't give him too much dialogue. So I guess if it was too much dialogue, it's quite difficult to animate. It was good, but. 
it's still got that uncanny valley feeling for me. You can kind of tell, but even though it was the best de-aging that I've seen in some time and the overall image of him and, the, and his embodiment of the costume and everything was great. Yeah. And you couldn't tell when he wasn't doing the action sequence. You know, they pushed him really well. Yeah, I, I thought that they definitely did a decent enough job with it. I know that like people are saying that it, it, it's so off-putting in a way that it, not off-putting in the sense it's bad off-putting, but because you're so focused on the de-aging, you're not following the actual story of what's going on. To be honest with you, I kind of I saw he was de-aged and I was like, "Yep, that's it." And and I was just straight in the film, just just enjoying as we keep saying these first twenty minutes because it was absolutely stunning. Um, and like the CGI in places, yeah, I mean, like with the de-aging especially, yeah, it might look off. It might look like you know the mouth doesn't work properly or whatever. It looks like he's having some form of stroke or something <laughs> like that. I don't know, but like. I didn't think it was bad. And I think that like, it's weird because I keep saying this recently that I, I said this about The Flash as well is that even when the CGI is bad, I'm, I'm, I'm always forgiving if the story and that's good. And that's why I think that these first 20 minutes anyways, I'm a little bit more forgiving of like, okay, the DH is not, not, it's about 85%, I would say it looks great. But I'm quite forgiving because that whole sequence was just great. But I, I did think it looked good. And the CGI overall, I thought, um, yeah, I thought it was, re- was was fine in those first 20 minutes. Again, as the film goes on, there are a few pockets of like, but where, you know, what have you done with your budget? But like, <laughs> but um, how good was it though to see Harrison Ford? How good was it to see him back? Oh, it was amazing, Joe. I mean, that was the moment for me I was looking most forward to, you know, that nostalgic moment of seeing him as we remembered in Last Crusade, which for me is the, you know, the perfect indie movie, the yeah. way it was ended and to see Harrison. And because it's been teased in the trailer, I think that was what I was most excited. And it literally gave me goosebumps when they removed the cowl and you could see him for the first yeah. time. It was just, that was just like everything you wanted from an indie movie. Yeah. And he and he hasn't lost it, has he? I mean, even when we cut back to uh, the present time of this film, which is like in 64, I think I said it was something like that. Um, he's not lost it. He may, he may be older and, you know, a little bit more grumpy. He's literally the grumpy man next door. Turn the music down, this and that. I, I did. I didn't mind that what they did with him. Um, you know, he just oozes that character. I think everything that that he, whenever he's in that role, he is Indiana Jones, regardless of what age he's at. Um, and I'm glad that he did, in a way, get the send off he deserved. Just because. Now, I'm not saying that this finale is the perfect send off for him. Like we've said, the Last Crusade was the perfect ending for his character. But like, I don't know how I felt when I, I remember finishing Crystal Skull and thinking, is that how we want him to go out? I know it's a happy ending and stuff and he's got married and that, but, and you know, he's, I, I'm so happy. I, I remember everyone was just so happy when Shia LaBeouf went to put the hat on and he just snatches <laughs> yeah. it off him. That was, that was, that was a good last gag kind of thing, but I didn't feel like it was the perfect send off for him. And I think that, albeit it was rushed how this one goes, and we'll talk more about obviously in, in more depth in the spoiler section. Um, I guess it was just nice for him to play this character one last time. I think he looked amazing, actually. I think yeah. when he came out in his full attire, he looked awesome, and I hope I look that good at 80. And in some respects, <laughs> I preferred the scenes of him in the current day, well, current day in the 60s, than the actual de-age, because yeah. I think Harrison carried it so well. Yeah. And I thought he was just phenomenal as an actor in the character. You know, can't fault him. He clearly gave it his all for the movie. He definitely deserved that stand innovation that he got at, was it Cannes Festival, was it, when they showed it? Uh, and just on a side tangent, we were talking about this yesterday, what is the deal with films and, and, you know, reviews and previews getting shown so far in advance that, you know, reviews are out, two, three weeks before. I feel like that in itself is just jeopardising how successful the film's going to be. I don't know what you think about that. Oh, completely, Joe, because it felt like the movie had been out for six months and yeah. we missed it. It felt like, this, you know, we've seen the reviews, we've seen how much sort of stick it was getting beforehand. And for me, it just completely took the sales out of the movie. Yeah. I would rather have got into it not knowing anything yesterday, yeah. making my own views of... Because we all have unconscious biases. I definitely had unconscious bias. This movie was not going to be great. Yeah. 
I think that's it because we were all well we said before I mean I, I've I've tried to just kind of block out the noise of, of people slating this film this and that um, and we said before we were just like you know what like we know it's not going to be as good as these the first three films you know we know that it might just be the same as Crystal Skull and stuff it's just let's go in and just enjoy it for what it is and it is a little bit difficult. I know it's in hindsight saying that's better than when you're in that position and you're like, I really, it's almost like you, the thing is, this isn't a terrible film. I need to stress it's not a terrible film. It's just, it is bumpy. I think that's what I keep saying to people. The first 20 minutes are great and the two hours following, just, it's a very bumpy ride and mixed bag. Um, but, you know, we were, it, we're never going to live up to, to that high. It's just that I think that, like I said, if it, as send-offs go, I do think they missed the mark a little bit with this one. Um, there were some creative choices in there that, I mean, if you thought Crystal Skull was a leap, just just you wait, guys, just you wait. But like I say, I do always try to look at positives and negatives. And I do think that they utilised uh, you know, Harrison Ford's age for the story really well in general. Um, this isn't your young, adventurous indie. This is someone who's had his adventure. Um, you know, he's had his, his, had his extreme lows as well since we last saw him in Crystal Skull. And and that is now just a bit of a mess and, and a rut, you know, in his older age. You know, he's drinking heavily, um, not at all the same professor he was. No one is engaged in his class. I used to love, oh, I still love those sequences when you'd cut back to him teaching in the, in the original trilogy and everyone's hanging off his every word. You know, he's this dreamy professor. Um, but no one in this class is students. They, they just see him as this old guy rambling about ancient history. There's like nothing there, like no zip, no flair. Um, it is a completely different indie that we find him at the start, you know, almost reside into this new state of loneliness, but then enter Phoebe Waller-Bridge's Helena that just shakes up this world for him entirely. Yeah, and, and to be honest, I and I quite like that. I thought I saw beforehand there was a bit of stick about grumpy indie, but I thought Harrison carried it really well. It seemed believable. Yeah. I didn't, I wasn't too off put by that, and and I'm and I'm a big Phoebe Waller Bridge fan, so I you know I quite like the intro of her as well. Yeah. And again, I'm interested to sort of see your views of her, Joe, in terms of whether you think she was as you know annoying as potentially she was in hindsight. But no, I thought it was it was done really well. Well, most of my notes for for Helena and, and the obviously performance for Phoebe Waller Bridges, um, you know, she's she's Indy's goddaughter, and she's as we've stated earlier, she's looking for the uh, she's well, she's looking for the, the actual dial of destiny and such. But you know, she Harrison Ford and, and Indy has got one half, but they need the other half, and that's where the adventure really unfolds. But you know, Helena as well is like kind of a damaged character because she's got in with some really corrupt and bad people. You know, like engaging, she was engaged to someone. Uh, in the mob, I think it was, whilst in Morocco. And, you know, these two coming together, it was a cool and interesting dynamic. I, I wouldn't say I found her irritating or anything at all. I thought that she played the part really well. And Helena isn't like anyone else that Indy's been on an adventure with. It, it was cool to see, that you know, not have them take, team up straight away. Sorry, you know, there's a clear level of mistrust between Indy and Helena because she's been deceitful quite a lot during the film as it is. Um, so that when it did them you know coming together end up those coming together um i felt like it was quite real and natural to be honest with you no I completely agree and i think the scenes in the bar were great i think they played out really well and there was it's clearly chemistry between the pair of them yeah. which makes it, it felt believable so as a pairing i enjoyed it i had no real complaints really yeah. and i thoroughly enjoyed their dynamic all the way through the movie yeah i guess the, the if you were to flip it because again i always try to look at like positives and negatives kind of thing but like Maybe what necessarily, like we said, the storyline's a little bit bumpy, but, you know, with with her being involved in selling artifacts and all this, it was almost like, I don't know, like I'm not saying she was like a villainy character, but it just seems strange for like Indy to team up with someone like that maybe. Um, and I think it is just all down to her being a goddaughter. I think it's just that kind of, you know, surrogate father situation that we like to see. Well, well we audiences like to see it, but studios at the minute are relishing in that idea. 
Um, so you know, I, I, you know, it's down to her just being his goddaughter and stuff. And there's that that care that, that Indy wants to kind of put her on the straight and narrow. But I, there's there's arguments to say that Indy could have teamed up with Seanette Renee uh, Renee Wilson's character Mason. That's the CSI agent that was in this fantastic costume design for the sixties, which I've mentioned a little bit later. We'll go more on that in a, in, a, in a little while. But her costume was fantastic. But I thought that Renee Wilson was very underused. Um, you know, she could have had more of a key role to play, considering like that inner corruption and inner circle with the other CSI agents that are part of Mads Mikkelsen's Nazi clan. Um, there could have been an option for them to team up. That would have been a better, you know, for them to come in that way. Or at least kind of maybe if they made it, her character was to be Phoebe Waller Bridge's character, something just to make it feel a little because don't get me wrong, like I say, I did, I did, I did like the dynamic between the two, but I just felt like it was a bit of a clunky way of putting them together. Um, but overall, like I say, the performances, all those three that I've mentioned there, you know, Harrison Ford's, um, Jeanette Renee Wilson and Phoebe Waller Bridges, they were they were pretty solid in this film. I agree. And I think in some respects, the dynamic of the sort of the CIA element didn't really get explained that no. well. It kind of like she appears as a character they sort of want to catch her indeed, no real reason why. So that bit just felt a bit underutilised. And again, her part then sort of comes to a, a conclusion later in the movie that yeah. felt a bit underwhelming. Yeah, that, that's, that's exactly it. Very underwhelming. Um, I guess that kind of leads us nicely to talk about Mads Mikkelsen, who is a tremendous, tremendous actor. Um, sadly, he was okay at best. <laughs> yeah, for me, I just kept, I, all I could see is Le Chief. I know we chatted about it post-movie. Yeah. I could just saw him playing Le Chief you know, all he did is James Bond pop around the corner. Yeah. He was okay, very just standard. Mads um, Mikkelsen, really. It was there, there were some good moments like in there where he did seem a threat. Like I liked the journey of his character when we first meet him at the start of the film. He's involved in those first twenty minutes on that epic train sequence. To see him, kind, you know, he's not fully the villain he is by the time we see him. You know, in the sixties uh, era. Um, but when we do see him again and catch up with him and see what he's up to, there, there's a definite presence and a threat there. It's just that I don't know. Like I, I don't think he was a villain to remember out of the Indiana Jones films. Like he was just another Nazi at the end of the day that was after godlike powers, which we've seen time and time again. These are the nods, obviously, that we indie fans really like. But I do like the vision that they were going for with the character and that desire to have the Dial of Destiny. Just a quick one, by the way. I'm going to just keep calling it the Dial of Destiny because I'm going to end up mispronouncing the Antikythera at least once. Yeah. I, I'm doing all right, yeah, yeah but really I, well, I'm, I I, I'm genuinely worried that it's going to get to a point where I'm just like, I don't know, it's just not going to come out. So Dial of Destiny, there you go. Um, but like I said, I, I think it was pretty forgettable. I, th I thought I said to you guys right after, I thought that Kate Blanchett was a better villain in Crystal Skull, so maybe that tells you all you need to know. And it wasn't really a perilous moment where you felt that his character was going to put them under risk a little bit. It just yeah. felt like it was just, they were all going on this journey. There was the good side and the bad side going on the same journey. And it almost felt like he was just following them around a bit. Yeah. It's like, you remember, you remember life afterwards when you were like, he just popped up wherever they were. Well, this is it. I mean, yeah, literally, they, do, they go and get the MacGuffin, he appears. They go to another place to get the MacGuffin, he appears. It's like, <laughs> is he leaving like breadcrumbs behind? Or what's <laughs> yeah. happening? Has he got some kind of powers? But it was just like all too easy. Yeah. This plot point. I think that this kind of follows on from what you were saying earlier as well about it almost feeling like an imitation yeah. of what Indiana Jones was because like those things were very plot contrived you know like it was like they're going to like you said they're going to go here he's going to turn up they're going to go there they're going to turn up so that's where those negatives come in um, you know like Mads Mikkelsen like we said is a fantastic actor I love him in pretty much everything I've still not yet to check out Hannibal I've heard he's tremendous in that but it's just a shame that he, he was yeah like not not the threat that the trailer kind of made him out to be because if anyone could play this is going to sound weird. If anyone could play a Nazi really well, I was expecting someone like him to have that real, like, kind of 
closed evilness. I don't know if that makes sense. No, it does. And I think it's hard as well having the Nazi story in the 60s because you're kind of drawing on the pre-scene to kind of yeah. to kind of follow that Nazi thing. We just got Harrison saying, well, you're a Nazi, you're a Nazi. But the rest of the crew didn't make a lot of sense. Like, yeah. I didn't work out how he got all these gangs to believe what he was believing and what he was doing. Yeah. He just felt like he was a Nazi in the 40s. And so he's a Nazi now and that we'd have to go with that. Yeah. He's an actor now that wants to just change the course of history, yeah. basically, which, again, hold on to your indie hats. Um, you've just touched it there as well about, you know, Mads has got some some henchmen, uh, one of which is Boyd Holbrook, which I I really like this actor. Um, big fan of him in Predators um, and, and Logan, of course, yeah. but Narcos. Narcos, man, like, he is so, so excellent in that film, um, in that TV series, sorry. But in this, he's not excellent. Um, I think that this is the worst role I've seen him in. I I don't really know why he even took the role, if I'm being honest. And I don't want to feel like I'm sticking the boot in on him. But I think it's one of those, again, when you like an actor so much and you see them. It's like when when we watched Ambulance. Oh, no, you've seen Ambulance, haven't you? Like I love Jake Gyllenhaal, but I have no hesitation in saying that that's my least favourite film I've seen him in. And I think this is one of those for for Boyd Holbrook. Um, He he just literally turns up and just shoots and shoots and shoots. I agree. I don't really still know. Was he CIA? Was he just like an affiliate friend or like a groupie of Mads Mikkelsen's character? Yeah. Just, there was no explanation what he was. He just yeah. killed people and had a really weird sort of smile. Yeah. And this is it. I, there's there's nothing redeemable about his character. Um, and and uh, that's what they're going for. I'm not saying that as in a performance. I'm saying they, they want this character. They want you to really, really dislike this character. You probably dislike this character more than you dislike Mads Mikkelsen, in fairness. Um, you, re- you you want and and end up obviously hating this guy, but he was still pretty, pretty poor. It literally was just a case of him just turning up and opening gunfire. He was essentially a trigger-happy American, let's be honest. That's what he was. Um, and I, I, I don't know, I, I just, I, I'm more disappointed probably in in coming out saying not so positive words about him um, than I am about the film in general. Because like we said, we knew this film wasn't going to be absolutely, you know, oh my God, this is the best indie film. But coming out being like, oh, you know, Boyd Holbrook's performance and stuff wasn't the best, he wasn't the best character. Um, but like, I think that, I just wish that his character had met a much deserved, you know, demise as, yeah, as, as you know, what happens within the film. We'll talk again more about that in a second. But I felt like, you know, I was surprised with how much, they kind of let him down and I felt disappointed with his portrayal and such. I agree. And like, again, it just, he had quite a good start. He was a bit of a loose cannon, but then for me, he was never quite bad enough to be really terrifying. It was yeah. just sort of like following the guys around. Oh, I want to be a Nazi now. That's what I want to be in this club. And just underwhelming is probably yeah. the word I could take for him really. Yeah, that, exactly that. Um, but you know, with indie films, we turn up for adventure and there's great sections of, of wonder and adventure in this film, but I would say that this doesn't have the same vibe as any of the previous indie films, and that's including Crystal Skull, sadly. Um, again, kind of this is leaning more towards negatives and such, but there was a lot of chase sequences, which, you know, that will be all about Harrison Ford being so old that he needs to probably sit more as to opposed to swinging from whatever, you know, using his whip we've seen before. Um, and plus, if we if we was swinging about doing that, it'd be a bit more unbelievable that an 80-year-old is going to be doing that. So I get it, but I do feel that they relied so heavily on these fast chase sequences, you know, and less of being in, like, the Amazon or wherever. Um, and I, I missed it. I missed all of that. No, I agree. I think I said to you at the end, he'd sat down for most of the movie. Yeah. Even for, like, for the last third, it was just like, Indiana Jones, and I'm going to sit down for the Dial of Destiny. And yeah. they could have been more creative. They could have kept him in the action. 
and it still be believable for his age. But yeah, I was underwhelmed. But I actually missed the jungle scene, not the yeah. swinging monkeys. No, but I, no, no. But the scenes from Crystal Skull in the chase scenes yeah. in the jungle, I thought they were ace. Yeah, they were. They, they looked great. Gr granted, yes, of course, the CGI and, and green screen of those sequences were poor, you know, when Shia LaBeouf is, you know, sawing on top of the, in between the two cars kind of thing as they're racing through the jungle. But Dial of Destiny's got some pretty shocking moments as well, in particular. I mean, don't get me wrong, the tuk-tuk sequence was great and a lot of fun. Really, really, that's when, again, the pace was fun and fast and here we go. But there were times when you were watching that and you were like, oh, that is a bad green screen. It just felt you could just tell they were all sat behind a green screen. And yeah. to be fair, the cuts were quite quick and you couldn't linger it for too long. Yeah. But you could tell they, they weren't driving that. But if you leave that aside, actually, that whole sequence was yeah. ace. You know, and as a sort of a chase scene, it was, felt like proper indie. That did, yeah. Um, like I said, I did, I did miss the, the Amazon and, and wherever the, the forests and jungles are, sorry, or whatever. But no, I'll take that chasing. Like I said that, that that was, again, really exhilarating and really fun to be in the audience watching that. Um, other main positives for me was set with the set design. I mentioned it before, and the look and the feel of that sixties aesthetics. You know, the sequence with the parade was really gorgeous, and I know the CGI was a bit dodgy in this bit as well. But I did think it was all put together. You know, like I love this whole aspect of the confetti and Indy. You know, riding around on the horse, ending up through a subway. I thought it was really great, and I thought that the set it was believable that that was the sixties. You know what, Joe? I think for me that was one of the highlights of the movie. That whole ticker tape parade. It felt obviously it predates us in terms of our lifetime. Yeah. So to see that and experience it in a movie was awesome. Yeah. And I think was it filmed in Glasgow? I think it was. It wasn't. Oh, was it? I, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. it was filmed in Glasgow. So to turn that set into a believable New York scene, I loved every part of that. Yeah. And, and the action felt believable as well. You know, yeah. when Andy's fighting the guys to escape, and yeah, that for me was one of the highlights of the movie. It really was. It was just kind. Of, it was just. It was cool, you know, to see this retired Indiana Jones just kind of be pulled back into the action again. It's, it obviously doesn't want to be. Doesn't want to be necessarily in this mess that he's in. You know, it's just kind of that's where his life's ended up. And again, we'll talk more about the ins and outs of all of what's gone in in between the last time we saw him. But it was cool to see him. You know, just I don't know, just be Indiana Jones again one last time. And that's what I'm trying to take from it is that at least we got something from you know Indiana Jones again. Whether people, it, it's one of those where whether we like it or not we have to accept it there's another film there's no we haven't got a choice we're not like Kathleen Kennedy or whoever at Disney and such they've made it so we have to just make it do with it um as mentioned earlier as well when they get to Greece that's when the film switches off the pace I think it's almost like they just like hit pause um and they're just like yep it's just all dialogue and exposition and this is what you know here we go buckle up we're going to dive here go here it is it's very underwhelming especially when you know, all the heroes, it just felt like they were globetrotting. And as we've stated, Mads Mikkelsen, it's just every time they go somewhere, he's just like there. Like, it just it very much, um, that's where it kind of fell. It also fell very flat for me at the end, which we're going to talk about in a second with the spoilers. But yeah, it was just just very bumpy, wasn't it? It was. And I rewatched some of the trailers this morning, and I think there was a scene that was in the trailer that wasn't in the final movie when they're rolling the ball. Was that in the movie? Did I miss that last night? I can't remember that. Rolling, rolling the ball. You see them poking the stick, and the, suddenly the sort of the, the sort of the stone the stone ball comes down. I don't think that was in the final oh. movie. No, I don't. I don't remember that. I, I, it, yeah, I, I know there's a bit where they fall. Obviously, when they open up the mechanism, when they're in that kind of like pool area and they fall yeah. down. But I, again, they, that that's bad that we saw it last night and we're already like wondering yeah. if the, a certain sequence was in a film. I mean, that kind of sums up like it's pretty forgettable. It is, and that whole bit just felt like they're going to go into a cave. Yeah. They're going to, oh, look, there's a bit of light on the wall. Let's yeah. climb up this wall. Yeah. Let's go and find the thing that no one's found for these you know, thousands of years and we just find it in five minutes. Yeah, it just felt yeah. like, really? And yeah. then what was worse to me is they've got this, so this MacGuffin to help them and Mads goes, oh, look, I'll just follow them down this corridor. Oh, look, I'd come down here years ago. I could have got it. It just felt like, <laughs> really? Yeah. 
it was very like, like we already said very plot driven it was yeah. like okay a to b to c and and we're already i the thing is is that it it felt again i've said this time and time again i've already alluded to it earlier when we talked about the film and such but it felt disney it felt very disney which is why I, that that's exactly how i feel about like the rise of skywalker in particular but what disney've done with star wars since this is another example of Disney just becoming this huge empire, taking over things, taking IPs, releasing this, releasing that, rebooting this, rebooting that. And um, it's just kind of like a sad state of affairs, really, I would say. I think it is. And I think you look, I mean, again, Kathleen Kennedy's a, you know, what's the future for her? Is she going to leave? Is she going to stay? But the movies feel like they're a connect the dots movie yeah. now as opposed to an adventure. We're like, well, we're going to go a movie. We go from start to the end and we have to go from left to right to make it at least semi interesting as opposed to an adventure. What I also did, the one bit I did like, actually, is I liked the reference when Indy's sort of climbing up the wall going, you know, I've been shot nine times, I've been tortured yeah. by a dude. That was nice, because yeah. to hear him relay the story to his experience, as opposed to just, you know, retconning those or ignoring those, I thought, I, even though that was the most exciting scene, I thought that bit was ace. Yeah. No, I agree, because that's the right level of, uh, level of nostalgia that we as fans want. Obviously, the big indie fans such yourself, that's what you love. It, it's not so much like a... Oh, look at this character. Remember this character, which they do in this film a couple of times, on like, you know, rely heavily on that. Or, or past sequences that, that again, uh, we get nods to, um, past moments, that is, from previous films. But no, it's those kind of moments when he's just kind of talking about it, when he mentions like the voodoo thing. Even I was having a bit of a chuckle and such. And there's obviously another snake line in this as well, which I really dug. And yeah, th- th- like I said, there are nice and good moments in this. It's just, I think that overall, after the first 20 minutes, um, it, it just falls mega flat and uh, and and really on a downward trajectory, I think. Um, and I do want to talk about spoilers uh, now, basically. Uh, but so before we do, obviously, this is your warning. But also, um, out of ten, I think for me, I've been back and forth about this. I'm not really sure where I stand, and I don't think again, like I say, it's a terrible film. I, I, out of ten, I've put six point five. Um, I would say that Crystal Skull is probably a six. Um, and again, that's, I've, I've recently just watched that. So after watching that, I was like, it's an iffy film, an iffy indie film. Um, and this film, it Dial of the Destiny, would have been a six. However, the opening sequence was absolutely fantastic, and I and I have to I have to give it slightly more. But I think on a the more I keep thinking about it, because of the feel of the indie film, I think that I, it's weird this because I'm giving it a six point five purely on that opening of the film. But I do think that Crystal Skull is is, is probably a little bit better. When you said 6.5, in my head, I had 6.5 as a score. And I think, for me, the, I enjoyed the first hour. The first hour for me were great, and then it obviously went downhill from there. So I think 6.5, it saved the movie. Yeah. If, we, if we hadn't had that flashback scene, because we hadn't had the ticker tape parade, yeah. this would have been a really boring movie, yeah. and it would have just been a complete letdown. So I think 6.5 is a good score for yeah. it. And I think a fair score, considering... Because it was a lot to like, but there's a lot to be like, hmm. Yeah. Big question then, would you ever rewatch it? I think I would. I think I thought about, on the way back, I thought, oh, I'm going to buy that in 4K. Yeah. So I, I, the collector in me, the nerd in me, because I've bought Indie so many times over the years, yeah, yeah. I'll have to own it. Yeah. Just And I think it's as good as, if, yeah, it is better than Crystal Skull in some ways. Yeah. So I would 100% want to buy it. I think for me, I think I wrote as well uh, somewhere in my notes, I've obviously lost it, but I, I, remember, I remember thinking and saying um, that if I never watch the film again, I can live with that. However... If I was ever going to watch it, it would just be those first 20 minutes I'd be watching it for. And I think that's fair enough because it, honestly, listeners, I can't stress enough how much enjoy and how much it, it, it was, it was incredible. And, and almost like led you into a false sense of security because you're like, oh my God, this is going to be great. And then it just never lived up to it. 
honestly, I completely agree. And I think you could watch that first 20 minutes, end it when it goes to the 60s. And go, right, that's me done. Yeah, yeah, I've yeah, enjoyed yeah. that. I, I'm quite intrigued to sort of see the behind the scenes. For me, mm. I'd love to know how they filmed this movie and what was the movie that we didn't get? You know, yeah. What was the movie that was changed so many times? And yeah. so, but I, I, for me, I'll definitely buy it. Yeah. I, I think there's been like debate about this, like two endings or whatever, because. James Mangold has said it never happened. There was always this ending. But then, um, obviously, John Williams. Oh, my goodness. Remember, we spoke about him in a second one minute. Yeah. But John Williams said he had to do like a whole different score for a different ending. Um, so there's obviously debate about um, about that and such. But So before we do go into spoilers, just very quickly, the score is, again, fantastic. Like, John Williams, we know he's a legend. And, again, this is, I think this is, like, this is his send-off as well, almost, for obviously for the indie films. But I don't know if he's going to be doing much more, obviously, work and such. But... I just love everything about John Williams' score because it, that that's where that feel, as much as it wasn't Spielberg and Lucas, that's where the feel of indie came in through his score. Um, you know, you only have to hear like the flute or whatever that he uses and utilizes in his music to be like, this feels like it should be released, you know, all those years ago. Um, John Williams is a master. Honestly, I thought the score was... Towards the score and the sound design. Yeah. For me, the sound design felt like indie. I said to you last night, the punches felt like yes. the, the punches yeah. of old. I adored the score. I thought the music and everything was just phenomenal. And it yeah. made probably scenes that weren't that exciting probably yeah. a little bit more exciting yeah. than they probably were because yeah. yeah. the music was that good. I'm always saying if you strip out music from film, the film will just drop instantly, like in terms of uh, quality, because uh, a score can really make... Well, it's the difference between a terrible film and an amazing film. And sadly, I'd like you know, even though the score is tremendous, I'm, I'm, it is a shame that we're, we're sat here kind of just, I think we've been quite fair with it, but it is a shame to come out of an Indiana Jones film, it being even like kind of more disappointed than what we've been before. Um, they should have left it at three. I think it's naive of us as fans to think that, oh, they'll just leave it at three. They won't do any more. But, um, but here we are. But yeah, just, uh, just, just a very mixed bag. It is. And again, also we'll touch it in a spoiler second. For me, it just, I felt disappointed and it felt like it hasn't moved the story that further yeah. forward. I don't know if we'll, we'll talk about more in the spoiler section, which I can't wait to get into, but it could have, for me, the movie ends and it's no further forward than Crystal School in a lot of ways. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's jump to spoilers then. So, listeners, this is your last one and we're going to talk a little bit more, probably just about the ending, if I'm being honest, and what happens in that, in that third act and such. So, um, if you've not seen it, please don't listen further, or unless you've not bothered about spoilers. I don't want to ruin it for anyone, but it's your choice on your on your head, be it. Um, but as always, thank you for listening. Do check us out if you are going to turn off uh, and come back when you've um, checked the film out. But here we are then, spoilers from three, two, one. So let's talk about um, let's just talk about the the third act in general, obviously, because they get the dial of destiny. Mads Mikkelsen all the way through. I, I like this idea of someone that was so hell bent on correcting um, you know the past and and making sure that the Nazis win the war. Um, there's a great moment with Mads Mikkelsen in the hotel sequence, like early on in the film, when he says that. Um, he says to the American chap, you didn't win the war, Hitler lost. And I think that kind of summed his character up because he has such a motive and desire to use this style of destiny for such a, a, a darker purpose. You know, I think that, I don't, I, well, obviously Indiana Jones, it belongs in a museum, this and that, or, you know, anywhere, anywhere out of bad people's hands. But, you know, I like that idea of Mads Mikkelsen wanting to go back, you know, essentially kill Hitler, become the Fuhrer himself, and then look into, um, yeah, correcting that, 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 that loss. Um, but I just think he was executed so poorly. Like I said, like like there was a few moments of spark between Mads, you know, Mads Mikkelsen's portrayal of this 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 bad character. But I don't know, like when they do get that dial of destiny and they do essentially go in the past, it's almost like you either run with it as a fan or you sit there and you go, huh? 
To be honest, I, I didn't mind the time travel a bit too much, but for mm. me, the whole ending just felt flat because it felt too limited. They were in a plane for, what, for the last 15, 20 minutes of the third act. Yeah. Indy was sat down for most of that, just sort of staring at what Mads was doing. Yeah. He didn't have the grandiose excitement of all the other third acts of the Avengers where there's a lot of peril, excitement. Literally yeah. just, just sat about going, look, we're going to fly a plane towards the clouds and then some, you're going to see something and then it's going to just wrap up. And it just felt like, really? Is that all you could do? Yeah. And I think it was limited because of the time travel bit, but... I hated the third act, Joe. I thought it yeah. just was so boring. It was didn't feel like indie at all. It was it, it was really really strange because, like we were saying earlier, if you were if you were as a fan were were disappointed with what happened at the end of Crystal Skull with obviously <laughs> these ancient beings, aliens, you know, it, it, that for me was that was a bit of a jump and a leap. You know, watching Crystal Skull again, I'm like, oh dear, this is this isn't indie. What's this? You know, like I, I know that indie does lean into that side of supernatural but we've seen we've seen how well it can be done in indie films in pirates of caribbean films as well you know pirates and then there's all these ancient gods and beings or whatever you know that that works absolutely fine so you'd think that they could handle time travel and when you've got a film called the dial of destiny we are you're going to be the sat there going well they're going to travel back in time or something's going to happen but i just found it so odd and like i couldn't I don't know, I couldn't take it seriously. I did like elements of it, don't get me wrong. I loved the fact that, because they end up, they don't, what Mads Mikkelsen thinks they're going back to, you know, the, the 40s or 30s or whatever to, you know, when the, the war was on still with Hitler. He ends up going back to Roman times, obviously. And um, and I did like the elements of it. Like, I loved the fact that the Romans that were fighting thought that these planes were dragons, because they would, they would think that. Oh, like I just think it looked, and that, that, all, that whole feel of that was great. But it was so weird. It was so strange. And as you stated, there was no real peril. It was like they were just avoiding being taken down by spears or whatever. That's been not spears, but you know, like big, yeah, well, I don't know, poles, I don't, whatever, being thrown at them or whatever. Um, and then it was like plane crash. I mean, I've actually forgotten how Mads Mikkelsen goes out. Does he get shot or does he die in the plane? I think the plane just crashed. Yeah. And I think, again, it was just like they're in a plane, they go through a cloud, they fly over some boats, the plane crashes, movie's done. And then. For the last ten minutes, we just stood around with more exposition. Yeah, it was quite touching. Don't get me wrong, yeah. but was it believable though that Indy would want to stay in the past? No, and to be honest, when they went in the past, I'm like, oh, I'm not going to leave Indy in the past. Yeah. I felt they re- and I, it makes me wonder. In one version of the ending, maybe Indy is in the past somewhere. Yeah. It's almost like Doc Brown going back to the yeah. 1800s and Back to the Future Three. Like, yeah. is that what they're going to do? Yeah, it, it it was strange, and you know, I I, I th- there's that moment in there in the film when they they get to uh, the tomb of um, the chap that made the... Archimedes? Yes, he gets to Archimedes. Thank you for saving me. I was like just hectically going through my notes, like what the bloody hell was his name? You know, when they get to Archimedes' tomb and they they see on the side, obviously there's like etches of um, like wings, something, but they've got propellers, whatever, and then they open up his tomb and he's got an actual watch with him that you're like, oh. And that's when I was like, "Uh uh-oh, like they're going to, they're going to do this. Um, and you know, like we were saying, it is it, it, it's certainly a, a leap and a jump and something that again, I mean, I don't want to be too harsh on on it, but I, I don't know. I just I felt like there wasn't enough as as we keep saying as an ending. You know, like the bad guys didn't get their comeuppance. Yeah, fine, they died. You know, obviously, you know, like we said, you know, uh, Boyd Holbrook, however, he dies in the plane crash. I wanted him to, to really have a painful one. Like you'd expect something because we've seen it time and time again. And, and if you're going to do a paint by numbers indie film, surely Mads Mikkelsen, yeah, all right, we'll go back in time. He'd try to use the dial again and then end up like you know breaking it or getting st- you know what I mean something really horrible would happen to him from using the Dial of Destiny. There was none of that. So that's why it felt really flat as an ending. 
And I think it explains how he knew how to get back to World, you know, world yeah. War II. It's like, we've got this dial. How's it going to tell me? Because this, this, the dial is always going to take him back to Archimedes. Yeah. And that whole cylindrical storyline doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Like, he needed it because he needed Indy to come back in time to save them from the Romans. And that was the intention of it. But then how if he knew that, then how could he do it? It just made no sense. Yeah. It just made no sense. It, there, was, there was a lot of holes in that. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I'd... I, I hate it when you come out and you and you're almost like picking at it because you're like, well, what about this and what about this? And I think that's when you've got a a very disjointed ending um, or just just a disjointed film, really. Um, it it was a jump. Um, it's not necessarily out of you know, it's not too left field of what we've seen in indie. But if you're gonna do that, they should have they should have cut out like the grease bit or something or something. They should have cut something out earlier, made the film two hours and spent a bit more time in that past. Like imagine if they'd have done like a two hour film, first hour build up to getting it, second hour they use it. And then it's about them. It might be in the past trying to figure out how to get back. Or I don't know. Like some, I'm, I'm not, I mean, I, I do write scripts, but I'm not the best. You know what I mean? Like I'm not like saying, Oh, I'm better than anyone else for thinking of these different ideas. I just, I don't know. Like I just felt that, I just felt like I said. I remember finishing the film. The film ended thinking that was such a. It, he went out with a whimper, not a bang. To be honest, I was just thinking then I would have preferred to go back to World War Two yes. and actually battle the Nazis for a longer period because obviously the big draw was oh we're going back to the traditional villains that we've yeah. always enjoyed and we get a bit of that for twenty minutes at the beginning, them in their costumes at the end when they you know on the plane we're boarding in our costumes and so yeah I would have much preferred more time in the past. And actually then battling in the past to yeah. try and get out with some narrative that might have been, you know, is it going to get to Hitler? Is it going to take him out? That yeah. would have been more exciting. It would have been even better, actually, if what if they went back to the opening moment that we saw at the start yeah. of the film yeah. for those first 20 minutes? If they use it, they ended up getting back, back to, to that time. Yeah. 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 like And they go back to that moment that we see at the start of the film. And, you know, maybe the something to do with another MacGuffin or whatever is to do with that again. And it's almost like you're having to avoid... I know it, it'd be a little bit more of like, oh, we've seen it all before. And that's the thing is that... If you're not going to break new ground with time travel, which this film definitely doesn't, just maybe stick to what what um, what most people are familiar with or something that we, we can easily consume because I, I, it's not that it's confusing the ending. I mean, elements of it aren't explained. It's just it's really weak. That's, that's like I said, all those words, weak, flat, underwhelming, disappointing. It comes from that for me, that third act. The, well, the last 15, 20 minutes. I agree. And you never felt like... It, you know, when you look at Raiders, you've got, obviously, the, the Ark of the Covenant. You felt tension there. Yeah. There was a real moment of, like, you know, what's going to happen to Indy? Are these guys going to open yeah. it? And there was a bit, a bit of horror in there. There wasn't really any horror in this movie at no, all. No, 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 which is a, no, no, no. And in Last Crusade, with, you know, Sean Connery and yeah. his father, is he going to do it? Is he going to get through? So and then there was just none of it. It was just like, the question played, Harrison has a conversation with Archimedes. He wants to stay there. And what do you think to the punch? Uh, I mean, it's, again, just quite quite lazy I think it's just a very quick way of just getting him back I mean we don't see him get back just, there's a punch obviously from Phoebe Waller-Bridge wakes up back in the present again well back in the 60s obviously and, and then that's that um, yeah what did you think well, for me it's like she's pushed him out has he had surgery has he been asleep all this time it just yeah I don't know I think in some respects it might be a bit of leaving him in the past it just felt Week. I mean, that whole bit was Indy on a hill having a conversation, mm-hmm. looking a bit sad. I did feel the emotion yeah. of him. You know, his life was in the crapper. He, yeah. he kind of had enough, but 
It's not great. Yeah. I think it's worth mentioning as well, actually, because obviously part of the reason why Indy is such a grumpy old man now, as well as obviously well, he's 80, but also his relationship and marriage that we see at the end of Crystal School with Marion has broken down. Um, you get to see like a nice little shot, as they always do, which he doesn't outright say they're split or separated. You just see a piece of paper that they're going through a divorce or whatever. Um, and that was pretty ups- like upsetting and disappointing that they decide to do that. But then it comes to... It's all about the fact that their son, Mutt, obviously the infamous Shia LaBeouf character that no one liked, uh, is killed off screen, essentially. He's killed off, he's signed up for the war, and he's killed in. And, and Indiana Jones is, when they're talking about the Dial of Destiny, Helena asks him what, what, what's the first thing he would do if he, if he had that much power. He said he would go back and he would stop his son from signing up because that essentially would... That it, once he's once he is killed, it would destroy the whole family, which is what's happened. Um, I've seen some really good points as well that it's interesting that Indy, even when they do have the Dial of Destiny and they have gone back to the past, he doesn't even think about doing that. Like there's no discussion, there's nothing at all about you know between Helen. It, when Helen is trying to convince him to come back, there's not even an inkling or anything to say that he was going to do that. Like he's got the Dial of Destiny, he could if he wanted to try and do that. Um, maybe because obviously as we've discussed that. The dial was always going to take him back to Archimedes, whatever his, whatever his name is. Um, but I don't know, like, it, there's still nothing there. And it was almost like people were saying that it, that again is lazy writing. It's just another another thing that's said that has no substance to it. Um, but I, 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 as a, as a you know, plot device or plot convenience, should we say, I get it. I get what they're going for. They have to have some form of explanation or even further into the mind and, and, and you know, why Indiana Jones is the way he is, why he's drinking so much, why, you know, literally. He is. We we first see him. He's obviously clearly passed out from the night before drinking. He gets up, makes a coffee, starts pouring whiskey. And like, why is he like this? And uh, what you know, nothing really. You know, is going to turn someone like that other than a, a devastating loss. So I get it. I just think it was again the the the, the way that it, it plot you know it plodded along and and Indy was given that opportunity to maybe save his son or whatever. It, it just nothing happened. I agree, because actually that scene when he talks about Mutt was actually really yeah. moving, and Harrison delivers it really well. Absolutely, yeah. And then to just to say, well, that's like, I've done it now, I'm not going to... Just, yeah, just felt like they had to explain why Shia wasn't in the movie. Yeah. That was an easy a way of doing it. I do quite like the way they hinted at Shia's death early in the movie, because it's sort of, you hear it through TV, and there's a moment like he's lost his son, and you're, ooh, and I, I quite like that. But then the ending, like, yeah, the no, and not even to sort of... Him and Marion to have like a reference about it. It was yeah. just, yeah, not great. Because that's the other thing as well is obviously at the end of the film, once he is back in the 60s, uh, we get some some more nostalgia bait. Obviously, because John Reese davis is back as Salah in this, which was, again, really nice to see him as that character, albeit for 10 minutes tops of screen time. I did like their reintroduction and stuff of those two together. I thought that was quite nice and really, I don't know, like adorable, if that's the right word. It's really nice seeing these elderly gentlemen who've like, you know, like, you know, busted each other over the years, back together again and... Yeah, that was nice. But yes, yeah, so we have John Reese davis coming back, obviously, as Salah at the end, and then in steps as well, Karen Allen's Marion, um, which you said you had no idea she was going to be in it. I sadly saw on IMDb that she was part of the cast, and I was like, okay, that's nice. But I bet that was nice for you as a surprise. You know what it was, Joe? It's very rare to go into a movie and not some, know something's going to happen. I had no clue, because yeah. I thought I'd read somewhere that she wasn't going to be in it. So when she came, I'm like, oh, wow, it was yeah. a genuine almost like the flash moment, you know, when George Clooney appeared yeah, at the yeah. end of that. Like, wow, that's a real, you know, real nice surprise. Yeah. No, it was nice to see her and they have a nice touching moment. But again, like I say, some people were saying they were really emotional by the end of the film. It, it was it was uplifting to see those two together. But I wouldn't say that once that final shot, you know, coming into the circle of the hat on the, uh, on the wash line, he grabs it and it just fades to, well, cuts to black kind of thing. 
I can't say I was sat there being like, oh, perfect, perfect ending for this. I, I don't know, like I didn't, it felt so rushed basically that the last minute from from them going into the Roman times, then suddenly back in the present, here's Marion, they get back together. And it really felt like, yeah, they, they just, I don't know, rushed, rushed this idea of an ending, which then again kind of adds or alludes to the idea of maybe the ending was changed. I would have chopped something out of the middle scenes of the whole MacGuffin chasing and add more yeah. for the ending because you want the final. This is going to be the final time we see yeah. Harrison in this role. It's the last time I'm going to be in the cinema feeling those goosebumps, feeling yeah. that anticipation. And they kind of cut to black. With it. it just felt like Looney Tunes. It just yeah, felt like yeah, it was too yeah. quick. And for me, we're no further forward. Yeah. I actually, in a funny kind of I preferred the ending of Crystal Skull yeah. and it was a happy upbeat. I think it was. Spielberg yeah. got, you always got an upbeat ending of, yeah. there was some conclusion. This just felt like, they're in the kitchen, never cuddle. I quite like the kissing, you know, because this bit there isn't so. Yeah, but yeah, the little It just thing. felt, yeah, it just felt cheap. It, it did. Um, and that's the thing, that's why when I when I look back at the Crystal Skull, when I was watching it again, I was like, it's, it is such a happier ending. And, and the problem is, is that the reason why this ending for India felt so, like, down in the dumps is because they decided to kill off his son. They didn't need to necessarily do that. And that's, they, they've kind of, it's almost like, right, we're not going to recast his character. We're just going to have him killed off, which is, again, whatever. But don't make that like, I don't, I don't know. It's that you're writing yourself in a corner, basically, then to, to it's not going to necessarily have the best ending. The only way it would have been a, a pretty happy ending was if, like, Indiana Jones wakes up, he's got his bandage on, Helena looks at him, and next thing you know, like people walk in, and then someone's used the device, the Dial of Destiny, to go back and change things, and in walks his son. You know what I mean? That could have been like a very more, that would have been probably a more emotional one. It'd have been cliche, maybe, <laughs> but if you, like I say, if you're going to do paint by numbers, you're going to have to, I don't know, it, it, it's difficult because I, I'm not, a lot of these ideas that I'm saying, people are going to be disagreeing. I'm not saying that's what they should have done. I'm saying these are different ideas. I just think that anything was better than what we got, basically. Particularly with the time they had as well. Do you think you know, the movie paused for a long time with Harrison out of his shoulder? They could yeah. have had loads of options. Clearly, they've rewritten the ending. Yeah. How many times we'll never really know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, I don't think they got it. I don't think they, I don't, maybe James Mangold didn't quite get that people would want to see progression. Yeah. It felt like it was Logan, but Harrison survived yeah. as opposed to. Maybe the bit of killing him off, but yeah. then that might have at least had more of a you know decisive ending and more yeah. controversial ending than just yeah. like fate of black hat there and yeah, it, it it definitely felt like it almost feels like okay, so when's the next film going to come out? Yeah, yeah. Oh, and see, I completely agree. I was watching some some um, reviews this morning. Like, is that the ending? Or is there now another movie going to come to get a proper ending that we need? Yeah. So like they wanted to end it, but they weren't quite sure because maybe Harrison might do another one. You never quite know if yeah. it makes loads of money. It's not looking like it's going to, sadly. I think, what was it, 300 million budget? And I think it was on track or something I read to get 140 million or something like that in its first weekend, which sadly is a little bit under underwhelming or under, well, way under what they're expecting. So it, it definitely felt like a, um, yeah, not a very conclusive ending. They should have had him just, I don't know, in the sunset or if you're going to just leave him in the. I don't know. I, I really don't know. I, this is where you listeners come in as well. And I, if you've seen the film, I, we'd love to know as well what you think um, about the ending, about that kind of time jump situation and pretty much everything we spoke about on this podcast. But yeah, like as, as, as you can, as, as we've discussed and as probably listeners can tell, we're very mixed on it. Like I said, we had a decent enough time for those first 20, well, I'd say a brilliant time for the first 20 minutes, but the rest was just, you know, hit and miss. But have you got any other final thoughts about Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny? Were you, are, you, are, you, um, are you on that side of you should have left it? Yes, I think I would have. I think you summed it perfectly. I think I'm sure to sh- you know to demonstrate what they could do with Harrison technology that would have been amazing, yeah. and then hinted at something maybe in the future. But I don't feel like it's brought anything as a conclusion to the five films. It just yeah. felt they've just you know taken Crystal Skull and dragged it out a little bit. And yeah, 
I think I felt more disappointed with this than most because it didn't feel like it solved it. So for me, I would rather have just left it in the past. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think we've covered it all, mate. So yeah. I, I think it's um, it's one of those. I'm not going to say to people, oh, no, definitely don't watch it. You know, that if you're an indie fan, you're going to have to watch it. You know, I mean, it's an Indiana Jones film. I just think that as long as people are going in, um, as I think if you are an indie fan, you are doing, just just expecting it to just be underwhelming or expecting it no, to be nowhere near the same calibre as the original trilogy, you'll, you'll be fine. Because we've come away and we've just thought, yeah, it's got brilliant moments. Yeah, it's got some weak moments. It's just somewhere in that middle period. It's almost like, I think I described it as like a uh, a background film, you know, background noise. Um, but I really enjoyed having you on, man, talk about Indiana Jones. Uh, it's been it's been an absolute blast. And uh, yeah, I, I really do appreciate your time for, for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure, honestly, Joe. I've been so excited about this podcast all day because I am an indie fan and I'm a big fan of yours. And so thank you so much. Fully enjoyed it. So thank you. No, thank you, mate. Uh, before we do go as well, it's worth plugging, obviously, your socials as well because obviously you um, like do a bit of racing on, on YouTube and such. And uh, yeah, if you want to just quickly shout out to your channels and what it is that you do and stuff. Oh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, so I'm a geek that's got into sim racing. So I do online streaming of. Um, Racing on ACC and iRacing. So if you want to check me out, it's Chef Brick Racing on YouTube. That'd be awesome. Chef Brick Racing on YouTube. If you want to see Andrew's uh, amazing Lego sets as well, um, is it Sheffield Brick? Is that it? Chef Brick, just Chef Brick without the racing. Chef Brick on Instagram, um, at Chef Brick. Yeah, Andrew honestly has got some amazing Legos. Anything you can think of, he's probably got it. So listeners uh, actually quick have you got any have you got any indie sets you know what i haven't i think that's my sets to get i'm going to lego shopping tomorrow so hopefully we might get an indie set you never know do it mate because i've seen some wonderful ones the raiders one with the boulder and such looks tremendous so yes sorry do check out his chef brick page as well um but finally once again sorry thank you so much andrew for for joining it's been wonderful really great to have you on finally um and listeners thank you so much for checking out the podcast again as we've discussed and waffled on about for nearly an hour or whatever please let us know your thoughts on indiana jones the dial of destiny does it live up to the rest for you what's your ranking all that you know just get in touch on the socials but again massively appreciate your time leave us a review if you've checked out this episode until the next one though thank you so much take care